Attention, attention all personnel, it's MASHCAST! Hello and welcome to MASHCAST, the show that analyzes and celebrates, episode by episode, the greatest TV series of all time, MASH, which aired on CBS from 1972 to 1983. Proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network, I'm your host, General Robert Iron Guts Kelly, and joining us this week in the VIP tent is Lieutenant Seth Jonas. Hi, Seth. Hi, Robert. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you for being here. Yeah, I'm very excited to be here. It's a big thrill after listening to uh, all the episodes up to this one. Uh, very cool to be a guest on the show. Thank you for being here. Now, of course, we're here to talk about the Season 5 episode, 38 Across. It's episode 15. Before we get to the plot, uh, Seth, i got to ask you, like, how did you become a fan of the series? So it's somewhat similar to uh, your story. Um, my father was a huge MASH fan. You know, he would watch the show, um, and we would watch it, you know, periodically, I guess. But And my earliest memory of, of MASH is the episode that Radar left that I remember my parents let me stay up to watch it. I don't remember anything before that. This would have been in 1979. But I do remember the whole idea of like, oh, I know who Radar is and that he's leaving the show. And I do remember watching that episode. Um, but we, uh, we got a VCR in late 1980, and my dad wow. started taping. Yeah, my dad started taping the episodes. And, uh, you know, we would watch it. It was on twice a night in New York at 7 and 11. And my dad would tape it and he would even, you know, make sure to uh, pause during commercials. So we don't have what? any of the old commercials. Unfortunately. Wow. In some ways, I wish we did. Yeah, but, yeah, um, yeah. But, you know, we, we ended up getting pretty much all the episodes on tape. And it would be, you know, the, the sick day or the rainy day uh, to be able to just binge mash, uh, you know, for, for a couple of hours. Uh, or a few hours, you know, I think we had some tapes that were as long as six hours long. But, you know, I've been thinking about this since, you know, starting to listen to your uh, podcast. I think the reason that I really got into the show, and I don't know when this aired, but you've talked about it before, the, the PBS special, uh, Making MASH. So we watched that and it was on tape as well. And um, if anyone had not seen that show, it, you know, besides doing a documentary of how they make MASH, it also really talked about the history of the show and showed a lot of clips. So, you know, you would see the clips of, of the one that intrigued me the most was, you know, of course, Henry uh, getting killed. So you wanted to see that episode of what happened with that episode. And then with BJ coming in and uh, Frank leaving, Fra uh, Margaret getting married, you know, all these things. So it, it got me interested that I wanted to see the full episode instead of the clip. So I think that was one of the reasons that I really wanted to watch the show. And of course, it's a great show. So, you know, it just got me that I wanted to watch them over and over again. And, and you know, I think like you as well, you watch an episode and you find something new each time, you know, which mm -hmm. is pretty, uh, pretty cool. Your dad was, that's kind of a super fan, really, to go to that level. First of all, he was ahead of the curve at the VCR in 1980. I don't, I didn't know anybody. Like, we had, we got ours in like 82. Um, and, but I didn't know anybody that had one that early. So your dad was obviously an early adopter, but to be taping it like that diligently, that's, uh, they, again, he yeah. must have really gotten into it. Yeah, he really did. I, I don't know what made him start doing it. And the first um, episodes that we have are, are Christmas episodes. So obviously it was the end of the year. And um, I still clearly remember uh, watching Dear Dad for the first time, which, you know, is, is a laugh out loud episode. And I, you know, that was just another good reason to get into it. I was probably, you know, 10, 11 when uh, that, uh, when I saw it for the first time and, and just they're hysterical and that, you know, made you want to watch it more. Um, but uh, yeah, he, I mean, I had some friends that had Betamaxes actually, but uh, luckily my dad didn't buy that one. 
<laughs> how, how how fushing would that have been to like he records yeah. all these and then it's on it's like a dead format. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> I can't. I can. Uh, well, I can kind of look at it. Uh, I can't do much with it outside of that. But oh exactly, my god, exactly. yeah, that's wow. <laughs> but I think what you know what what's so interesting is you know when I heard your story. Um, so I guess I should back up. So you know I think like all of us we'd watch the show. And then when the the big fans, when the, when the DVDs came out, that was very exciting because now you could see the full episode because like all of us, we've all talked about the, you know, the syndicated episodes, uh, you know, would cut out a few minutes worth of shows and you'd always be like, what was going on there? So, you know, that was exciting, you know, when they would release each season and you'd get to see, you know, one, the shows in order, which was kind of cool as well, but just mm-hmm. to see all those missing uh, scenes that, that you didn't have. But, you know, after I finished the series I kind of you know I just watch it here and there and um when I started uh with the hearing about the podcast the first one I heard about actually was Alan Aldis um so Alan um the first two episodes he did of his podcast were Sarah Silverman and Itzhak Perlman and I happen to be friends with um but it's it's an interesting story I happen to be friends with Itzhak Perlman's uh daughter and son-in-law so I listened to the episode which is a fantastic episode and uh, I email uh, the son-in-law. I said, have you listened to this yet? It's fantastic. And he says, yeah, it's great. But, you know, in real life, they're best buds. And I'm like, whoa. I said, I'm a huge MASH fan. If I ever met Alan Alda, I think I'd flip out. And he says, no, nah, you wouldn't. He's a regular guy or whatever. <laughs> so then fast, fast forward like a month. And Alan uh, tweets that he's going to be on the Today Show. Um, uh, just uh, with uh, Hoda and Kathy Lee. Kathy Lee is still hosting them. And I happen to have a friend who's a producer on the Today Show. And I emailed her, oh, that's so cool that Al Maltes could be on the show. I'm a huge MASH fan. And she emails me back, well, you want to meet him? Oh, my. I'm like, "Uh, yeah, you know. So she says, well, get down to the studio as soon as you can. So I, uh, you know, rush over to there and, you know, we watch the interview uh, from the set. And then, you know, she brings me over to meet him. And, yeah, he was very cool. And, you know, and it was a very nice couple of minutes to tell him a big fan and, how I binged the show, blah, blah, blah. Um, and then crazy story is that I moved my office. So I used to have an office in Midtown and I moved my office, uh, uh, this was probably like uh, six months later, into one of these shared office spaces, like a WeWork. It's not a WeWork, it's something similar. And I'm doing the tour and I see a big sign, all the communications. And I'm like, no way. So I, I didn't take I didn't take the office because of that. It was, it was a good situation. I take the office, but then naturally, like I'm in there for a week, and there's Alan Alda. So I go up and say hello again, and he was so nice, and his staff were fantastic. It was really um, just so nice to uh, you know to see him, you know, somewhat you know regularly, which was really cool. And um, you know, it, it just was so wild that you know here he is, and I'm you know I'm talking to him every once in a while, and I met his wife once on the street with him, and uh, yeah, just you know very cool stuff. And then I have some other funny stories about uh, meeting Loretta Swift, but we, we can talk about that after, I guess. Wow, that is that really is amazing. I mean, uh, just how I mean that's kind of funny. like come down to the studio and you're like, you know, how much yeah. time did you have to do that? It's like I, yeah. I, I I was it was like you know maybe thirty minutes. Like I I just you know I happen to email her and she emails me back and says get down here as quick as you can. And uh, you know, in in the one thing about living in Manhattan and the subway system, it's very fast, so you get to where you need to go. And uh, it it was. Uh, it was really cool. I guess since I brought up the Loretta sweat, I might as well. Yeah, well, that, go, go, uh, go tell it down, it is, yeah. it is, it is, a, it is a funny story. So, so um, I know you've met her a bunch of times, and she has this fantastic uh, 
um, this fantastic, um, this fantastic uh, art book. So she did a, a book signing at uh, a local store on the Upper West Side, and I went there to uh, see it. And when I got there, it happened to be like uh, the only, um, I was the only one there. So she offers me a glass of wine. And I'm like, okay. And I think just the 50 years of watching MASH just suddenly got to me that I'm all alone with her. And my hands start shaking and I spilled half the bottle, half the glass of wine. Oh, no. (laughs) No, and she was like so sweet and it was whatever. Uh, And then she did another one of those signings at the same place uh, late last year. And I went to her and she remembered me because of the (laughs) the wine. But uh, (laughs) it was very, it was very very cool. And, and, uh, you know, just, just like so crazy. And so she's, I have an autographed uh, picture from her um, and, and, and uh, Alan. And and, uh, I had had a Mike Farrell autograph, you know, from the cast. So I have the three of them on that uh, picture now, which is kind of cool. Very nice, yeah. <laughs> I, I I know I've told the story a couple times on the the show, but the the first time I met Loretta at the Comic Con or the, the it wasn't like a Comic Con, but it was the, whatever convention it was, and when she, you know I ended up doing a food run for her because yeah. they didn't have any good food in the hall, and I just remembered you know crossing the streets of Manhattan and thinking, my God, if I get hit by a truck, no one will ever know that I went on this run for her. So I remember exactly. calling my girlfriend at the time and telling her just so someone had a memory of <laughs> I was doing it because it's like, I'm going to, with my luck, I'm going to cross the street and that's when a Mack truck is going to blow through a light and kill me, <laughs> you know? And uh, I just wanted someone out there to know that I was getting lunch for, for Loretta Swift. It, it, so. I'm sure you like, you were just in your head like, oh my God, how is this happening? Yeah. Oh, it's completely. Such a cool thing. Yeah. Completely. Yeah. It's like, this is so surreal. I'm out getting French fries for Loretta Swift. Like, what a weird, yeah, yeah. What a weird situation this is. So, but well, that that's... Was with the with the but with with the whole thing with the podcast was so cool because then I, I forget exactly how I then discovered uh, the Mash Matters podcast, but I started listening to that and I made it to your episode, and I was like, oh my god, this guy is me, and you know that's when I reached <laughs> out to you because it was just it was just such a such a cool thing to know that other people were obsessed because like, I had some friends that were mash fans, but no one like me. So mm-hmm. it was kind of a, a neat thing to see, um, you know, how big uh, an influence it was on so many people. So kind of, Absolutely. Kind of cool. Absolutely. Well, that again, that's marvelous. I mean, again, if you're looking for that office and you're going to end up being next to Alan Alda, I mean, they, I would have like the, the deal would have had to have been really bad not to take it. You would have been like, yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. A, that's a major plus, you know, that I'm going yeah, exactly, to get the same exactly. balls, all the communication. Jeez. Yeah. Wow. That is, oh, that's really cool. That is, that is awesome. You did not mention that in your emails to me. So <laughs> you were really burying the lead on there. That's, that's fantastic. Seth. Um, all right. Well, cool. Let's, let's talk about 38 across written by Fritz Allen Greenbaum. That uh, means quality. Uh, I'm mm-hmm. not even remotely being sarcastic there. Uh, <laughs> and it's directed by Bert Metcalf. So without a lot of wounded, Hawkeye and BJ are bored, bored, bored. Luckily, they find a New York Times crossword puzzle and are determined to complete it, eventually getting the whole operating staff in on it. They get down to one last clue, a five-letter term for a Yiddish bedbug, and none of them can answer it. Hawkeye gets so frustrated that he has Radar place a call to an old friend, Tippy Brooks, who is a crossword whiz and is currently serving on a Navy ship in the Pusan Harbor. Brooks is in surgery when they call, so they leave a message saying that they need his help urgently. Unfortunately, Tippy takes this message a little too literally and radios that he and an admiral are on their way to the 477th. 
Hawkeye and BJ are bewildered, wondering how they're going to explain all this. Tippy Brooks, played by Oliver Clark, and Admiral Cox, played by Dick O'Neill, do in fact arrive, having to have avoid, uh, having had to avoid enemy, enemy fire, end up walking the rest of the way to the 477. Brooks asks Hawkeye what the emergency is, and after some hemming and hawing, Hawkeye tells him the reason they call. Brooks is furious and says they have to come up with some sort of story for the Admiral. They struggle to devise a suitable tale, with Hawkeye still determined to find out the missing Yiddish word, much to Tippy's annoyance. They take the Admiral on a tour of post-op, pretending a series of routine cases are confounding medical diagnoses. The Admiral sees through all this and is mad at the 477 for wasting his time. He's in the middle of a tirade when Father Mulcahy runs in and says there's been an accident involving some civilians who have suffered horrible burns. Brooks and Cox help out, impressed that this group of goofballs are in fact a top-flight medical unit. After seven straight hours of surgery, Hawkeye, BJ, Colonel Potter, Father Mulcahy, Brooks, and Cox wind down in the mess tank. A North Korean radio announcer, Seoul City Sioux, brands Captain Hawkeye Pierce a war criminal because of his operating on a North Korean prisoner's head, stating that he was performing experiments. The next day, Brooks and Cox leave, and they tell them the real reason for all this. Cox is incredulous that, quote, they came all the way for the word vaunts. All right, Seth, uh, this is a terrific episode. It's very silly. But then I find it has some, you know, really great kind of dramatic beats to it, especially near the end, some of which I didn't even mention in the uh, uh, in the synopsis here. So overall, like, what's your impression of this episode? So, you know, it's interesting. I, as a kid, I loved this episode. I, I thought it was the funniest thing, the fact that they came up with using a Yiddish word. Um, my, my grandparents all spoke Yiddish. Um, I took Yiddish in college. Um, it just, it was just kind of a neat thing. Like, Hey, how did they think of to do Yiddish, you know? Um, and I, I do remember as a kid really loving the episode and, you know, watching it again now, I think it's a really good episode. And the interesting thing is it could have very easily have been an episode in, in the first three seasons, you know, oh, completely. Every, yes. yeah, everything that goes on could have happened then. Um, so I think it's, you know, it's not a serious episode. Yes. There are a couple of things at the end that are, that are interesting that you can even talk about, you know, modern uh, things with the propaganda and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it's just a good episode. You know, I think it's, it's just, it's, it's not like one of the best episodes of the season. I mean, there are definitely ones that are, you know, much more popular. And I mean, the, as you said, the whole season is amazing, but it's just a good, a good episode. You know, that, that's really all I, how I would look at it. Yeah, I completely agree. This does have a kind of BJ Trapper caper, uh, gloss to it, uh, especially. And there's even a line where Hawkeye says, or I think it's, maybe it's BJ, he says, don't worry, we're in trouble all the time, which is not really true. <laughs> like that's, a, that's kind of almost like a holdover line from the Trapper years. BJ really doesn't get in trouble much at all. Uh, right. But, you know, it's okay. I mean, again, they, didn't, they weren't trying to do anything bad. It just it was like a series of miscommunications. Um, so I love the opening scene of the two of them in the swamp and Hawkeye is knitting. I don't think they've yeah. ever established that he knows how to do that, but okay, <laughs> that's fine. Uh, and he starts telling BJ this sort of fantasy story that's that's meant to arouse him, and it involves Lana Turner uh, wearing an Angora sweater with a zipper down the back, which, of course, gets BJ all hot and bothered. Lana Turner, you know, obviously in 1950s, you know, sex icon. By the way, I have to oh. say, um, um, I love when Hawkeye is telling the story um, he's rubbing the knitting needles in a kind of frenetic way, a little bit, like, <laughs> that gave a little bit of extra little oomph to it. And then just kind of to screw with BJ, uh, he cancels the story midway through. Lana Turner storms out and, 
and uh, they they uh, they never get anywhere. And so I love how frustrated yeah. BJ gets about it. No, it's it's a great opening because you're right. It, as as you know, we know there's a lot of boredom going on there, and this is just a perfect way to just hey, I'm going to occupy some time and. He definitely gets them. I mean, it's it's fantastic. It's a, it's a great opening to the uh, to the episode. I love it when Frank comes in and uh, Hawkeye immediately goes to, and then the Colonel said, "Whatever you do, don't tell Burns." It's just <laughs> perfect, yeah. perfect way to set up his paranoia. Uh, and then Burns is like leaving, uh, you know, leaving him out of something, which is just fantastic. Uh, there's a package in the mail for Frank, and it's a BB puzzle. Uh, which is, you know, uh, obviously a artifact of a long forgotten time. I don't think they make them anymore. I can't imagine any kid in 2022 being satisfied with a BB puzzle. <laughs> but for those of you too young to remember, there would be uh, some sort of image in plastic, and then there would be these little BBs, and you would roll the BBs around, and the goal was to get it inside the little crevices uh, of the picture. And, of course, you know, the trick was – to roll the BB into the hole and then move the rest, but without displacing the one you've already placed. Now, the one you never see it here, but the suggestion is that there's it's like a nudie picture. There's like some sort of like naked girl uh, in this photo, which is kind of again gives it like a weird thing that it's like a dirty BB puzzle. I've never heard of such a thing, but I guess right. they add them. Right, and it comes up uh, you know later in the episode with uh, with Margaret, uh, you know, being like, how could you? you know, do that. And he's like, well, I have needs, blah, blah, blah. Um, yeah. You know, but what, what I, what I think about, you know, this episode with Frank, um, it, it, I, I just wrote notes that said Burns pathetic. And I think that, you know, this episode is a really good example of just how they, you know, really didn't know what to do with the character. Like there was no other way to move him forward um, or they didn't want to, or, or Lin, Lindell didn't want, who knows, you know, but it was interesting that when I saw Loretta Swick the last time I told her I was doing it, I told her this episode I was doing and how, you know, pathetic the characters got. And she told me something interesting that, that Linville would watch the dailies during this season and be like, I don't know what to do anymore. Like, and, and mm. she thought that was one of the really good reasons he, he left the show. And I, it really blew me away when she said that. So it's very interesting because, uh, you know, if you think about at least in the early episodes, first few seasons, you know, he's still a jerk. He was almost like a confident jerk. You know what I mean? Like he just, this is what he was doing and he believed it in this and this whole episode, he's just, and, and, you know, the episode before with the yo-yo at the yo-yo breaks, mm-hmm. um, you know, he's just, it, it's just, you know, just a really uh, almost becoming a sad character. And, uh, you know, it, 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 it uh, I think this episode really emphasizes it, especially even at the end of the episode when they finally get it done and then Hawkeye just taps him over. Oh, sorry. You know. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, he really is kind of, uh, you know, he's just being like a like a, a childish clown. Uh, we talked about in the Margaret's engagement episode that they were pointing in a direction that they could have gone by giving Frank some extra depth with the whole, you know, uh, people pretending to be nice to me the way dad used to. And then it, it feels like they decided, nah, let's not do that. And they went right back to kind of him being a complete and utter clown. And then, and even more of kind of like a... a unbearable i mean at one point he uses the phrase uh, slant eyes in this episode and you're just like god frank yeah. you know you just he's just awful and you know whether it's the ping pong episode or you know it's like there's just so many times where he is just the worst he's a racist he's cruel he's unfeeling towards people and and so yeah i can imagine for valley linville that's gotta just be 
rough to play, you know? I mean, who wants to go on television and be in front of back in the day when, you know, the average episode of, of a hit show like this was probably in front of 30 million people and be so terrible. That's, yeah. that's gotta yeah, be exactly. psychologically kind of weird. Yeah, no, it's, it's, I mean, and we've said about, you know, you've said in the show, you know, what an amazing actor he was and that he could play it so well, but yeah, after a while, I guess it's just kind of like, you know, and, and the interesting thing is, I guess I'm sure he did a lot of roles after the fact, but you know, he definitely was pigeonholed. I, I remember him, being on like a like an episode of the Jeffersons playing okay. some boss or something that was just like a jerk you know what I mean like I yep. just don't think that he was able to get past that for whatever reason you know because of this character and look it's an amazing character you know you, you know, if you have a you know the actors always say you dream to get one role like that and you know, I mean, get an amazing job on it yeah um I don't know if I've ever mentioned it on the show to this point I guess it's a good time uh, if you've never seen it, you can find it on, I think it's on Vimeo, but you can just Google it and it'll take it. There was a Don Rickles special from around this time, 77, I think, 76, 77. And, uh, you know, anybody, again, who doesn't remember Don Rickles, whole shtick was that he would insult you on the, off the state, you know, and in, in if you were in his audience, he would be insulting, but he was really a nice guy. That was kind of Don Rickles shtick. And anyway, uh, on this special, he sings a song that I'm, I'm a nice guy. And he's like, I'm a nice guy. And there's, he's like tapping and whatever. And there's like a, you know, big band playing. And the gist of it is other people come out on stage that are famous for being terrible <laughs> singing that they're a nice guy. And so at one point, and I don't remember whether it's all the real people or some people playing the people, but anyway, at one point he has Bobby Riggs come out the famous kind of oh, wow. uh, misogynist yeah, tennis player, yeah, tennis yeah. player, and he comes out. Otto Preminger comes out, the famous director, singing "I'm a nice guy" because Otto, you know, Otto Preminger had a reputation of being pretty horrible. A guy dressed as the shark from Jaws comes <laughs> out to sing, and then Larry Linville and Loretta Swit come out in their mash costumes. And sing that they're a nice guy. And it's so surreal to see them in their mash fatigues in like a Vegas setting singing this song. It's so strange. Oh, that's awesome. You can find it. But I mean, that's how famous Larry Linville was for being terrible was that you could bring him on stage and they didn't have to introduce him. They didn't have to be like, hey, everybody, it's Frank Burns. He could just come out and everyone knew who he was. And obviously Larry Linville was comfortable enough to do that but i mean i i had never heard of this clip until a bunch of years ago somebody mentioned it to me and then i found it and i just watched it like 20 times in a row because it's just surreal to watch no that's cool but, i mean you know the, i mean the internet's amazing you know i'm sure you've seen the i i haven't seen this one but i've seen the one with mclean stevenson like you know not long after the episode airs and he's on like a talk show or something. Oh, the like share show. show. He's on the share show. Yeah, share. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's classic. You know, to come out, oh, I, I made it. You know? I'm alive. I'm fine. Brilliant. Yeah. yeah. Yep. It's, it's really, really. <laughs> it's so But that's the amazing thing about the internet because none of us would have seen this stuff. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, yeah. It's amazing. You know? Yeah, absolutely. So it's, uh, it's very cool. <laughs> so, so Burns, uh, oh, by the way, they established that the picture is a, uh, he says he got it from his receptionist. And uh, Hawkeye takes it as that, that that's her. And he says, nice picture of her. And he goes, nice BBs. So I'm guessing, and from, from previous episodes, it's been established that Frank has had relations with some of his staff. So I'm guessing that that means it's his receptionist who has sent him a naughty picture of herself turned into a BB game, which is <laughs> just a, a weird flex for sure. 
Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like, where would you even get that made? But okay, we both have to think about that. So um, before we get further into the show, I would ask you, uh, Seth, are you into crosswords? I mean, has that ever been something that interests you? Um, not really. You know, the the uh, the New York Times crossword puzzle is you know famous for being like an amazing puzzle, and if you can do it, uh, you know, it, it's pretty impressive. And and I I think in my twenties I would start to try to do it. And never had the patience for it. So now I am not a crossword puzzle person. Yeah, so me too. I it's never it's, been. Yeah, I find any sort of activity that you can't like complete to be sort of frustrating. Now, uh, over on one of my other shows, Treasury Cast, I always talk you know talk about those giant size comics, and they frequently came with bonus features, and they would often as not have crossword puzzle pages, and it would be all now those I would do as a kid because the clues were all comic book related. So those oh, I could do, you know, I was like, oh, okay, Flash, Aquaman, that's easy, you know, because <laughs> it's stuff I yeah. do. But you go to the New York Times and it's, you know, the oh, five-letter uh, Yiddish yeah. word for bed bug. I have no idea. But it is, it is funny. Have, have, you, um, have you done this, uh, you know, the game Wordle that, uh, you know, now the Times owns? No, have I have not tried Wordle. I know, the, you know, three-quarters of the known populace have, but I have not yeah. Not tried so, it. So, so what's interesting is, you know, I got into it at the beginning like, like most people did that would do it. And, you know, you, if you got the word on like the third try, it was impressive, you know, whatever. And then one day um, I was on a, a, like a conference call, something to do with my kids. And it just, you know, it was going on forever. And I just pulled it out, started doing it. And I looked at uh, some candlesticks in my apartment and I just wrote light for the first word. And all of a sudden, all five letters come up and I'm <laughs> like, whoa. And I haven't played since because how can you top that? You know, how can you top that? So. <laughs> Good to quit while you're ahead kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Exactly. So Hawkeye and BJ discover the errant uh, New York Times just laying around the swamp. I love that it's just sitting like on the floor of the swamp. Maybe I'm missing this and I'd have to look at the episode again, but wasn't the BB thing wrapped in the newspaper? Oh, you know what? I guess it was. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Because yeah. it comes in the package. That makes sense. Okay. You know, geez, that's yeah. funny. I didn't even really think about that until he said it, but yeah. But it's uh, something that, again, that I, that you know, like saying about picking things up, I, I got, I noticed that until watching it now because you're like, oh, well, can you pick up the, you know, because I don't remember that beforehand either, but. Yeah, uh, no, it, no, it does look like it was packed in it. Yeah. yeah, that makes total sense. Geez, I can't, again, how many times I've seen this episode? Thank you, Seth. For nothing else, <laughs> Seth. You've yeah. tipped me off to this slight detail of the, of the show. So uh, they start doing the crossword puzzle. And of course, the, you know, early, uh, early clues are easy, chap, cast, you know, it's kind of simple words. And then we cut to uh, them doing it in uh, surgery. Father Mulcahy he has got the clipboard and he's filling it out. And there's all sorts of, you know, words. And at one point, uh, um, BJ offers the word Hepler for a burrowing animal, which is a kid from high school that he went to who burrowed under the uh, into the girls' locker room. And of course, Potter is a little dubious that that's a that's that's the term. Uh, they they set up this whole bit about that there are some North Korean prisoners uh, that they're going to do a prison exchange, and that leads to uh, Burns making that awful comment. But that, that's going to be payoff later. Is that Hawkeye has been operating on uh, a North Korean prisoner um, because again, that's going to be a thing that the, that, that will, will, that will, they'll get to in the third act of the, the show. Uh, and if, you know, Burns wants nothing to do with that. And there's this whole bit where Hawkeye ends his surgery and he asks anybody for help. And Potter's like, no, I'm fine. And BJ's fine. And then he asks Burns and Burns kind of goes on this whole speech about, 
I'm a, I was like 137th in a class of 145. I'm perfectly capable. <laughs> and then the soon as the nurse says we're losing a doctor, he's like, Pierce, help, which it's a funny bit, but kind of like what you were just talking about with Larry Linville. Like, I'm starting to feel bad for him. The, <laughs> you know, the actor that like they're making him so pathetic that he, the minute the nurse tells him there's some trouble, he just immediately you know, turns to Hawkeye in that sort of pathetic voice. It's like, that, again, that had to be rough for Linville to play. Yeah, definitely. So then uh, they continue to do the crossword puzzle in the mess tent, and then we finally get to 38 across. The title clue begins with a V, means Yiddish bedbug. And, uh, I'm again, I'm not familiar with the uh, New York Times crossword puzzle, but, like, did they, off, did you happen to know, like, did they dip into other languages? That seems a little unfair. So um, I don't know, to be honest with you, but I would think they would. I mean, you know, the guy that would uh, do the crossword puzzle was famous for really just trying to get total out there things. The, 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 the hardest one was uh, always the Sunday one. So if you were, you right. know, Monday would be the easiest one to try, but I'm, I'm not shocked that, that uh, they would have done something like that. To be honest. Okay. Um, so they ask Father Mulcahy and Mulcahy doesn't have any clue, but then he tells Hawkeye, why don't you go ask Private Shapiro? And we meet a heretofore unseen member of the 477th. We'll never see him again. Private <laughs> Shapiro, played by Ron Coleman. Uh, he was, you know, a couple handfuls of credits. He was in a movie called The Harrod Experiment, which, if I recall, was actually kind of a fun little B sci fi movie. And he was in TV shows like Mannix. And there's this weird thing where he is, uh, he's Yiddish, but he is seven generations from Georgia and he talks. You know, like, yeah, Captain, you know, and he has no idea what the what the word is. And uh, he even says to Shapiro, Hawkeye even says to Shapiro as he's leaving, Mazel Tov. And, uh, yeah, say what? And Shapiro's <laughs> like, say what? And he's like, never mind. Yeah. And then it's one of my favorite jokes of the episode is when, when Hawkeye is walking back to the tent and he's just talking to himself and he goes, maybe that's what the word is, bid book. And he does it in the <laughs> Shapiro voice. I just love how frustrated he is with this guy. And they ask him, what about Shapiro saying? He says, ah, he can't get the cotton out of his mouth. So it's <laughs> like just a dead end no, with like, uh, Private Shapiro. Yeah, it's, it's just as we say, like, you know, you could have these small little things in the episode that are awesome. But, uh, you know, you're right. You'll never see that actor again. And it's a classic, you know, 30-second bit. And that's that. Yeah, that's it for, for Private Shapiro. Uh, and then he remembers Hawkeye when they're talking about He recalls, oh, Tippy Brooks. Tippy Brooks is the answer. His friend who's on the Essex. And, uh, you know, he used to, he says he used to do the, uh, the, the crossword puzzle to get ink, which is sort of like, you're just getting his pen ready. He does this, does this, uh, does the crossword puzzle. So they call radar. They go, they bring radar into his office to place the call. Um, I love this whole bit about, uh, the, the, the guy, the guy that he's talking to over on the Essex is, uh, burnt his, lost his cookie in, in a fire, which is this kind of like <laughs> things aren't that hard over there on the Stevens is the guy he's talking about. Um, then he says, uh, they start losing the connection and he has Hawkeye and BJ do this strange thing where Hawkeye is holding a trash can, holds his arm out. And then BJ holds his hand, stands up and holds a clipboard in the air. Now, again, I'm pretty, I don't know anything about electronics, I'm pretty dubious that this would do anything because I'm pretty sure that uh, our doctors are not conductors of electricity in any real way. But, you know, again, who am I to 
Although, did you did, did it, didn't you um, have a TV before cable? You know, with the antennas, and you you know, if you didn't get good reception one day, and you'd start putting your hands on it to try to uh, get the reception. Yeah, but that was bending the antenna, though. I mean, it wasn't. I wasn't <laughs> yeah. part of the connection. Yeah. It was just like you bend true, it, true. and uh, you know, you would hope you would get something. But um, um, so um, Hawkeye and BJ walk out, and after they place a message saying, "Tell Tippy who's in the middle of surgery, we need him." desperately and of course that's going to uh, lead to some threes company-esque shenanigans shortly now we have a little bit of a b i guess like almost like a c plot going on here with Klinger, one of his uh latest attempts to get out of uh uh of of duty is to eat a jeep and he is just sitting on the compound putting things in oil and oil like literal like oil and vinegar kind of thing and swallowing them right down and of course Radar does almost like a classic double take because he, he hears Klinger say that, walks into his office, sits down, starts typing, and then goes like, oh, my God, gets yeah. Potter. And uh, they go out and they see this. And, you know, I really love the way Jamie Farr sells this. Um, there's something about – first of all, I love the prop material that they give him. I don't know what he's eating. Yeah. But, they, you know, they look like little mushrooms or something. But when he eats them – Jamie Farr kind of strains to get like the nuts down his gullet, and it, he really sells it. Like he, like he, he puts one in his mouth, and he goes like, mm. like he really does the most cartoony swallow imaginable. And then he goes even further when he pulls a wiper blade off, and he chews it like it's a piece of licorice. Yeah, and, like he really sells this bit. I think it's one of the funnier Section Eight bits that he's done because you know just how he sits out there like he's having a picnic and and uh, he's got the gingham it, just uh, blanket with him and stuff yeah <laughs> it, it's a brilliant scene but i wrote down and and it's not a, a, a line or a joke or whatever but i think when when radar goes back to his desk and sits down and then suddenly the look on his face yeah. when he realizes what yeah. he said is is one of the best scenes in the whole episode uh, yeah that, but also you know it's another episode of potter just being like so chilled about it like yeah okay you do what you got to do it's not gonna work you know <laughs> i love when he eats the the wiper blade he's like what do you think about that and he says this too shall pass yeah and he even says ah that jeep uh that jeep never ran right anyway you know <laughs> like, he's yeah. Just, yeah he's so dismissive about it um but yeah i said it's it's just the the the, the feeling of eating a wiper blade. It's like, oh, that's all got to taste so bad. But yeah, Jamie Farr just absolutely sells it. Uh, it's really, really fun. I love when he, the struggle that he has to chew through the wiper blade. You know, he's like, Ugh! and then he then he hasn't even swallowed it. And he's like, how about that? Like, he's really that's a great fit. Absolutely fantastic. Um, no, so that's then, awesome. Yeah. So then we're in post op. Hawkeye and BJ are talking to the North Korean soldier. The North Korean soldier understands English enough that uh, he sort of talks to Hawkeye and sort of points to his head and says head and, and Hawkeye, you know, sort of acknowledges that, yes, you know, I know what he did. And the, this guy actually shakes Hawkeye's hand. He recognizes that Hawkeye helped him. This uh, patient is played by an actor named Bill Shinkai. This is his sole acting credit, but he was a writer on shows like Different Strokes, The Facts of Life, and The Bernstein Bears. Which has got to be one of the strangest career trajectories imaginable. Most times, writers and actors, you know, they did not do both those things. But how did he end up one time acting on an episode of MASH? Like, how does that, 
how does not how do you not get an actor that's got lots of credits to just do that role? Like, how do you end up with your one part is on yeah, match and then never again? You would think they would have used, you know, one of the few that they had like 10 times. Yeah. Yeah. It's very, yeah, very it's, odd. It's pretty interesting. Yeah. Uh, Klinger bursts in and of course he's doubled over in pain because he's filled with uh, all sorts of horrible stuff from the Jeep. And, um, while they're uh, while they're, uh, they're they're continuing on with their patients, Radar comes in and says, "Oh, Tippy's on his way," and they're like, "On his way?" And he says, "Yeah, do you remember it was an emergency?" And and Radar's like, "You know, he said we told him it was an emergency." And he says, "Don't you forget it? it was just a crossword puzzle." And Radar kind of, you know, drops, puts shovel, shovel, shoves them under a jeep by saying, "Boy, you guys are in trouble." And that's the act break of the show. <laughs> Thanks, Radar. You know, you really yeah. kind of got us in hot water here. Now, I got to say, as we'll learn in a moment in this in the second act when uh, Brooks and Emma Cox show up, it really was beholden on Tippy Brooks to check first. Yeah. You, know, like, you, you would really yeah. grab an admiral and get off a Navy ship and travel all this distance without knowing exactly the, the situation. I mean, so it really, this, this is really more Brooks's fault than it is Hawkeye's. Yeah, no, totally. It's a little, but you know, and again, you have to do it for the show. So, mm-hmm. so they show up, and as I mentioned, they are played by Oliver Clark and Dick O'Neill. Now, Oliver Clark, this was his first of two mashes. He would come back for the um, the uh, the letter, the uh, mail call episode, where he plays the alternate Hawkeye Pierce, Cap Benjamin Pierce, who ends and the, that Hawkeye gets all the uh, love letters for. But he was also on shows like Saint Elsewhere, Barney Miller, Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman, and Bob Newhart. Again, quite a storied TV career. Even more so was Dick O'Neill, who plays Admiral Cox. He passed away in 1998. This was the first of three mashes he would do. Naturally, always playing colonels or generals, because I mean he was an older guy and he just kind of had that appearance. He was in uh, the movie Wolfen. With uh, with uh, Albert Finney, fun uh, if kind of cheesy werewolf movie, and he was in TV shows like One Day at a Time. He had a regular role on Cagney and Lace. He was on Family Matters. Um, oh, well, uh, some other movies he was in: Pritzy's Honor with Jack Nicholson, mm. Pretty Poison, Classic. yeah, uh, Pretty Poison with uh, um, Anthony Perkins, which is a relatively little known movie, but it's terrific. And the absolute one of my favorite movies of all time: The Taking of Pelham One Two Three with Walter Ooh. Matthau. He's in oh. that movie. Brilliant, terrific brilliant. in that movie. Yeah, he's great. Actually, yeah, someone uh, someone I know's uh, mother played one of the women that's in the one of the hostages. In wow, the, in the, uh, you yeah, know a lot yeah, of yeah. people. So kind of a Jeez. Yeah, I, I know. I'm, I'm not very famous, but I actually do know a lot of people. It's kind of funny. Like uh, just I, I, a friend of mine would always say, "How do you get these situations that you are yeah, able to, man. you know, get someone?" And I beats the hell out of me. It's, uh, it's wow, uh, it's pretty funny. That's but, cool. Uh, yeah, I love the taking yeah. Pelham one two. Oh, it's That's such a classic. Movie. Great, it's, and I mean, and that ending, man. Yeah. Oh, yeah. One cast, of the best. I mean, the yeah. cast. Yeah. Well, and well, ridiculous. 1970s Walter Matthau. We're getting off Mash a little bit. 1970s yeah, yeah. Walter Matthau to me can do no wrong. Like every movie he was in in the 1970s was great. Yeah. The Bad I mean, News Bears, Charlie Varick, yeah. The Laughing Policeman. They're all. <laughs> they're all just fantastic movies. Yeah, I mean, for our for our age, of course, the Bad News Bears just uh, you know because of, you know for his kids watching that film, yep. wow! But uh, and the Odd Couple, I forget if that came out in the sixties or seventies. That was the sixties. Uh, it was the late sixties. Oh, just, 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 uh, yeah, just the legend. But and the, by the way, Marty Balsam. Yeah, Marty, Marty Balsam. Balsam's in it, and then uh, and uh, what's his name from Jaws? Uh, and the Stang one, if you're going to use his name right now. Um, 
Who was in Jaws yeah. and the Sting? Oh, oh, well, geez. Oh, Robert Shaw. My God. Yeah, Robert, Robert Shaw. Robert I mean, Shaw. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, speaking of which, to kind of get it back to MASH, uh, Robert, uh, Walter Matthau was in a movie called Koch, which he plays kind of a kindly grandfather. It is directed, that movie was directed by Jack Lemmon. And of course, yeah. Jack Lemmon and Walter Matthau were in many films together and were great friends. I think it's the only film that Jack Lemmon ever directed, and he's oh. not in it. Uh, he just directs, although he has like a little cameo at one point. But but uh, Walter Matthau stars in it, and Jack Lemmon directs it, and also in the cast of the movie Koch, Larry Linville. Oh wow! Uh, no. Yeah, and he actually kind of a nice guy in that movie. So uh, he didn't. In, this was that was in about seventy three. So he was already on Mash by that point. Maybe he filmed it before he did Mash, and then wow. they released it. But he plays kind of a nice guy there. So there's at least one chance where uh, Larry got to play. Uh, yeah, something awesome. something a little different. So anyway, uh, Tippy shows up and, uh, you know, Hawkeye tries to stall him, kind of like, you know, Tippy, we really thought you'd call first. And then they bring up, it's the, uh, you know, the crossword puzzle. And Tippy realizes he's getting in trouble. And as he's trying to figure out what we're going to tell Admiral Cox, I love that Hawkeye's like, yeah, but, but, but what about the bed bug? Like, he's kind of <laughs> this, like let's first yeah. things first Debbie. like what's the, yeah exactly what's the but you know it, it, it's it's the uh in the comparison to the radar uh scene that i mentioned tippy's reaction when he says you know we're looking for the crossword puzzle clue the look on his face also is just yep. brilliant uh but no it, it is very funny that he just loses it what's the matter with you, <laughs> you know? yeah yeah come on hawk i you know i can imagine what were these guys like as friends in i guess medical school maybe or yeah. something because they're both Surgeons. Uh, Potter runs into Admiral Cox in the latrine. They come out and they talk about that, uh, you know, everyone has to heed the, the call of nature and, uh, you know, the Army, Navy. And then uh, Potter says, and the Marines. And then Cox offers, well, I'm not too sure about them, suggesting that the Marines are so tough they don't have to go to the bathroom. Now, Cox would, uh, excuse me, not Cox, Dick O'Neill would play a Marine in the Sons and Bowlers episode where they square off against the Marines. He's the head. Yep. He's the head Marine in that episode. So there he is talking about uh, how tough the Marines are. And then he himself would end up playing one. Uh, they head over to the mess tent and Potter is sort of like, I don't know why you're here. Uh, you know, <laughs> I don't understand uh, why, why you would, why you would even uh, be here. And he talks about some of the strange food they have here at the four seven seven, the, the Egyptian sh- the Egyptian sauerkraut, which just sounds, you know, <laughs> just wonderful. Uh, yeah. We catch up, we catch up with them in, uh, Potter's office where they explain uh, what happened and I love how pissed Potter is at them he's just so frustrated with these two uh, you know and then he even says you know you guys uh, you know he says we're sorry he goes you you were sorry the, the uh, time you served Burns a chocolate coated <laughs> lizard and he says well, well for Easter you know <laughs> like, yeah, I love again brilliant. I love episodes that we've never seen I just love <laughs> that stuff yeah, so uh <laughs> Harry Morgan could play pissed in such a oh, funny oh, way. Amazing, you know? yeah. <laughs> nice. He was. I mean, they were. I mean, you, you know, we talk about how amazing the whole cast is, and you really could have a whole episode on each particular actor because they're just they're awesome. You know, yeah. and you're right with the how how Harry. Uh, oh man, amazing. <laughs> He's just really, really funny. So they decide, okay, well, we're going to show Cox around post op, and maybe something will pop up that will, will seem odd. So they take them. They they take them through all the tents, and of course, every case is as routine as possible. Uh, and then they get to this one patient, and they say, "Well, uh, after shrapnel, uh, he uh, is is incredibly thirsty. 
uh, he, he an unquenchable thirst. And they uh, Cox asks the uh, the kid uh, like a drink, son. And the, the the kid who was sitting right there and clearly doesn't go along with the bit goes, "No, I'm not thirsty, sir." <laughs> <laughs> you know, maybe in the context you could have said, yeah, all right. Um, that's played by a, an actor named Rex Knowles, who was on TV shows like Starsky and Hutch and Dukes of Hazard, of course, all aired around the time. Uh, but yeah, I love, and I love that when he says, oh, no, I'm not thirsty. Hawkeye just kind of does, he doesn't do a full on <laughs> like head slap, but he almost does like, oh, for Christ's sake. Yeah. You know, like- <laughs> um, they then introduce Cox to Klinger and Klinger full on kisses Cox on the cheek. And, uh, you know, you know, basically trying to act as crazy as possible, I guess, assuming that a, a general like this would or an admiral, excuse me, would be his ticket out. Also, I love the fact that Klinger is in post-op in a nighty, like he's in a he's in a children's <laughs> nighty, like he's, he's, again, committed to the bit. Yeah, I don't think he walked in with the 90s. <laughs> yeah, no, right, exactly, yeah. He must have had to send for it out of his, you know, he sent Radar to go get it or something so he could put it on. Um, so, for, of course, the jig is up. Cox is mad at them all, and he's mad at Potter because he wasted our time. We're getting out of this loony bin. And it's at that moment that Father Mulcahy comes in and yells that there was a terrible accident. Civilians, they're all burned. And there's some weird uh, ADR on Father Mulcahy. It, you clear, you can tell clearly that the dialogue is not matching to either what is maybe his mouth movements or at the very least the sound. You could just tell that it was sort of dubbed later. So I don't know if, you know, hmm. they just didn't get the audio correctly or they realized they had to change it or something. But to me, it's always ADR always sound like, you know, we spotted my ears. It was like, oh yeah, all of a sudden you could tell they're like, they're not on the set or whatever. So um, everyone takes care of these locals who've been burned. They even mentioned that these, kids uh one of them accidentally lit like a gas lamp and it set it off and then you'd say that it's there's dozens of people i mean it's a huge huge issue it's not just a couple and they immediately put uh cox and and tippy to work and it's in the middle of that that cox first of all they say that the uh, cox is a real doctor like he knows what he's doing and uh but then they say you know you want to join the staff full-time and he says no way you guys work too hard uh yeah. which i you know i kind of like that he was willing to admit you know yeah, on the Navy ship, we're not working this hard. You guys are, you guys are really getting killed over here. It's it's um, it's somewhat similar to the uh, pilot episode, you know, where uh, mm. you know Hammond's like, "Are oh, you guys are going uh, to the stockade and whatever?" And then they, uh, you know, the wounded come in and they're like, "Oh, we'll do it after." And then you know, it's a similar kind of uh, line there. And he's like, "Yeah, no, you guys uh, really got to, uh, you guys are really amazing doctors, etc." Uh, oh, by the way, I, I skipped over one part before that. I wanted to mention is when Frank is talking to a um, a burn patient, and this woman—it's a woman—and she's holding on for dear life to her small child, like a like a uh, you know an infant. And of course, Frank, having no bedside manner at all, is yelling at her, you know, <laughs> "Give me the kid! Give me the kid!" And of course, this poor woman is terrified, and she doesn't want to hand over um, the kid. And it takes it's up to Father Mulcahy to step in and say, you know, major Burns, let me help. And he talks in Korean and uh, he says something and he says it in a very comforting way. And the mother hands this little kid over to Mulcahy and this kid's adorable. He's big fat. Oh, yeah. It's absolutely so cute. And Frank offers uh, their heathens, which again, what the hell does that have to do with yeah. anything? And Mulcahy says, we're all God's children. It's just that some of us are more childish than others. 
And I think how much of a dick do you have to be for Father Mulcahy to drop an insult on you? You know, like he's so tolerant of everybody, but that's how bad Burns is. And Burns hears it. He hears it, he looks at it. And, you know, again, maybe that might give you some, some sense of, uh, you know, uh, inner resolve to say, maybe I should be a better person. And Father Mulcahy thinks I'm a jerk, but no, no, that's not going to happen. So uh, after surgery, we are in um, the mess tent and uh, there, there's Cox and Tippy and Brooks and Hawkeye and BJ and Potter. And Father McKay is trying to feed this child and uh, he's trying to give the kid powdered milk dipped in like a napkin and the kid won't take it. We can see the kid is pushing it away. And right at this moment, they get uh, a voiceover from Soul City Sue, who was uh, a real person who uh, was an American, but then came over and basically did propaganda for the Chinese and the North Koreans. Uh, her real name was Anna Wallace Su, and she was born in Arkansas in 1900. Uh, ru- they, it is rumored that she died in 1969, but it is not, uh, no one was able to fully establish that or not. But it's based on, you know, Soul City Sioux was a real person who, uh, again, met a, I think like a Chinese national at some point when she was over in Asia and became what, you know, in, in I guess, an, you know, sort of American military parlance was a traitor because she gave aid and comfort to the enemy. And here they, she mentions that uh, they, they got their hands on, they did the prisoner exchange and they got their hands on this patient that Hawkeye operated on. And she says that uh, Hawkeye Pierce performed medical unwanted unneeded medical experiments we brand dr hawkeye pierce a war criminal and uh you know pretty ghoulish stuff yeah it it, it uh it you know I said earlier about propaganda i mean it's it's uh you know i, I have to admit i didn't realize that uh, she was a, a, a an actual uh true uh, person there and yeah it's just crazy you know yeah yeah it's kind of amazing there's not been as far as i know like a movie about her you would think that's kind of an amazing story supposedly she was murdered by a uh, a a spy from her own country like from north korea or something so it's like you know quite an amazing tale you know (laughs) it's like geez yeah i would think that would i mean maybe there was like a tv movie or something but uh uh, at least from a Wikipedia page, you didn't mention. And then while um, Soul City Sue is talking, uh, Cox gets into the idea that, uh, you know, it's propaganda and we should, uh, you know, we should return it with something of our own, some propaganda of our own. And they're like, like what? And he says, like those burn victims. We could say they were firebombed by the enemy because they cooperated with us. And of course, Hawkeye's like, why should we say that? And uh, Cox says, because it's very effective propaganda. Every time they put out something, bad we should put out something worse and hawkeye's like they lie and then we lie where does it end and cox kind of gives in at that point and says yeah you're right and you know talk about stuff that's current you know i mean yep. we're, we're all dealing with the idea of how low some people are willing to go and what do we have to do to fight people like that uh but no exactly yeah. it was it was one of the things i really you know picked up from the episode I'm like whoa you know it's still happening today so yeah you know, yeah crazy crazy uh, stuff 19, yeah, and this is 1977. You know, they're talking about this uh, 45 years later. Yeah, we're still dealing with all this. And uh, so speaking of propaganda, uh, BJ gets the idea of how to deal with the child, and he picks the, gets the kid up. And it's really sweet. Mike Farrell, uh, you can tell, is just good with kids. I think you can see that with people, uh, whether it be actors or just people in real life. You can tell some people are more comfortable with little kids and animals uh, than others. And, of course, BJ 
just came from having a small child, you know, an infant at home. And he gets the idea of uh, he picks up the milk and then he makes a goat sound and he does like the, the goat bleeding (laughs) kind of thing. And that gets the kid to drink the milk. In fact, the kid likes the idea so much that we literally see the little kid grab the cup and bring it up to its mouth and start to drink it. And uh, you know, they talk about that's kind of the good kind of propaganda. And so it's a nice sweet way of ending uh, the main act of, of seeing, uh, you know, BJ with this kid. It's, he's got to absolutely love being with this little kid. And the smile that Mike Farrell has on his face is, again, very charming. because you could, It's a real moment because obviously a little kid like this isn't acting, just being a little, being a little kid. And uh, so it's very sweet. I know. It's, a, it's an awesome little uh, moment there. You know, we talk about like unscripted stuff and MASH really didn't do. You wonder, did the kid grab it and they just played with it? You know, who knows, you know. Yeah. Oh, by the way, I did mention the mother of that little child that uh, hands the kid over to Father McKay is played by the actress Momo Yashima. This was her second of three matches. Her first one, she played Kim's mother in season two. Oh, wow. Uh, huh. Yeah. When, uh, you know, the little kid that uh, Trapper's going to adopt and then the mother shows up, that's the same actress. She was in V uh, as uh, Six Feet Under and also Star Trek The Motion Picture. Uh, I just saw that on the big screen not that long ago. I didn't recognize her, but of course, I really wasn't looking for her either. But uh, yeah. that's that's an eclectic set of credits. Uh, Six yeah. Feet Under, Star Trek, The Motion Picture, V, and MASH. This is kind of yeah, all, wild. all over the place. Um, and so then the next morning, Cox and uh, Tippy are headed home. Klinger's driving them. He's got his driving hat, as Colonel Potter mentions, his nice purple little thing. And then, of course, Cox remembers wait a minute, why did we even come here in the first place? You didn't need us. And I love that when he says that, you look in the back and you see Tippy's head just fall. <laughs> I just love that little bit of business where he's just like, oh no, we were so close to getting away with this and then it doesn't work. <laughs> That's a nice bit of nice bit of like physical comedy from Oliver Clark. And then yeah. he even puts his hand over his hat. like He's just like, <laughs> oh no, this is the worst thing. Hawkeye finally reveals we were stuck. We needed a five-letter word, Yiddish word, for bed bug. And that leads uh, Cox to say, you dragged us all the way up here just to get the word vance? And that rings a bell. And I love Tippy's face. He lights yeah. up. Hawkeye lights up. And Alan Alda, again, has an absolutely marvelous bit of like, like okay, Hawkeye, we're, you're at like an 11 here. When he exits the frame, he turns, yells to BJ off camera, and he goes, Beej, it's Vance. And he marches off and he almost, his leg goes so, so high. It's almost like the John Cleese silly walk from yeah. Monty Python. It's so cartoony. Uh, but I love it. It's just almost kind of like it's an old fashioned musical kind of beat where his arms kind of go up. And he's just like, he's just so happy that he's got the word Vance. So a, a very interesting thing that I learned um, from uh, some people in, uh, in my synagogue. Um, that uh, the word Vance, besides, you know, obviously standing for uh, meaning bed bug, uh, sometimes people would say that to short people, you get a nickname. Oh, hello, Vance. So, uh, oh, really? Something, something uh, I learned uh, fairly recently, which I thought was interesting. So it doubled as like what? Just small? It would just be like a nickname. Like, yeah, you're small. Hey, Vance. How are you? Okay. All right. Good to know. I always wondered whether it was a real word or not and you know back when i was a kid and i didn't there was no internet to look it up i always thought is that like a real word but i mean you know, they're not cheating like that yeah it's an actual uh it's an actual i word, should but- i should add about the yiddish which um, i don't know if you know this uh there's been somewhat of a resurgence in uh, yiddish theater 
in uh, in New York the last few years, and they did a, a version of uh, Fiddler on the Roof in Yiddish um, that ended right before COVID. It was supposed to be a six-week run. It ended up going a year and a half. Wow. Um, and uh, it um, it was directed by Joel Gray from, uh, you know, known from uh, Cabaret. Cabaret, sure. Uh, yeah. yeah, and um, Jackie Hoffman was the most well-known uh, star on the show, but it, it was supposed to last six weeks and ended up being a year and a half. Um, I saw it twice, and it was fantastic, and Alan Alda saw it. Uh, so we, we talked about that when I went saw him in, in the office. Um, but just it, it's just so funny that, you know, even something like that, because when I first heard, you know, they're doing Fiddler in Yiddish, really, like it just didn't make sense to me. And the day the reviews came out, it just, um, you know, just got the best reviews. Now, I should add that one of my babysitters was in the show playing for Masera. So I was, I was already going to go see it. But when she told me that she was auditioning for this, I was kind of like, what? <laughs> you know, and, and it ended up being this huge hit, uh, which was, uh, you know, really, uh, really cool. But then the fact that Al Nolder saw it, I mean, actually so many celebrities saw it. They would post uh, pictures of, um, you know, people would come backstage after the show. Oh, and sure. uh, one of one of the coolest ones was, um, and, and of course his name is, uh, I'm who's the guy that plays Wolverine? Hugh Jackman? Yeah, Hugh Jackman, thank you. So, so he went to see it, and they post a picture of him visiting backstage. And, you know, always the stories I was saying before about I know all these people or I meet all these people. So my daughter um, was on her middle school basketball team, and uh, I was at one of the games. And uh, another parent is kind of like, they're kind of like, whispering to each other and i'm like what's going on and she says look over there and there, there he is you and his his daughter was on the other team so i i at halftime i walk over to him and and you know i i i normally wouldn't just go up to someone like that but i said well you know i i saw you went to see fiddler and uh um you know this, uh you know woman that babysits for us she played for miss Sarah, and he looks at me and he says she's not going to be your babysitter for long night <laughs> <laughs> and it was just awesome Wow, I love that he had that right at the ready, you know? (laughs) Oh, it was amazing. Yeah, it was so, yeah, it was really, really a cool uh, cool moment. (laughs) That's great. And then, of course, I I texted her, you know, right after. You won't believe what I just said for him. That's marvelous. What a great, and, uh, you know, I'm sure that a guy just going to his daughter's basketball game, you know, was hoping to just be a regular guy, but at least, like, you had a fun story. Like, you know what I mean? You weren't like, hey, can I get an autograph? It was hey, I saw you at the thing and my, you know, like you had some, like an, a genuine story that you could tell anybody whether they were famous or not, but you just get the added bonus that it's freaking Wolverine that you're talking to. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's what well, we know. Yeah. He's huge in theater, you know, and that's, that's not surprising at all that Hugh Jackman, that's great. That's, boy, man, you're, you, jeez, you're like this, <laughs> you're like the, the Kevin Bacon of MASHcast here. I mean, there's like this <laughs> nexus of people that you've met. Uh, absolutely amazing. So, um, then we have the, uh, the the button scene, which was always cut in syndication when I saw yep. it. I never saw it until I got to the DVDs where uh, Frank is still playing the game. And, you know, Potter even says something like, you know, calls it like a damn fool thing or something like that. And then Hawkeye. Oh, no, no, he doesn't call it. That's earlier in the show. Excuse me. But then um, he shows he finishes it, shows it to Hawkeye. Hawkeye slaps Frank on the back as kind of an appreciative thing. But of course that knocks all the BBs loose and it makes Frank start all over again. And that is the end of the episode. So, you know, it, it's kind of like, wah, 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 you know, yeah. for sort of Frank Burns, but overall uh, I think 38 across is a terrific episode. It's kind of a, even though it's got these guest stars, it's kind of a smaller piece. 
Uh, it's got a classic clinger gag. Uh, and then, then you've got a little bit of kind of, you know, there's some, some serious stuff with the, the, the Koreans getting burned and the, you know, the propaganda. So, but overall, it's just a really terrific show. Yeah, definitely. I think it's just, you know, someone, you know, like we always say, like, I, I'm assuming that certain times you might see an episode and you're like, yeah, maybe I'll, you know, I'm not going to sit down to watch the whole thing because I've watched it so many times. But this is definitely one that I'll, at the time, I'll definitely watch it. Yeah, it's really fun. And I love, I, I love Tippy Brooks and, and Hawkeye's relationship. Like they, Oliver Clark and Alan Alda have a nice chemistry and I sort of believe that they're friends. It, it feels yeah. real to me that they were, that they knew each other. Uh, not always, not every actor uh, seems, so. I always felt that the, uh, I'm blanking on the name of the character, but in like, sometimes you hear the bullet, the old oh, friend right, of, right. of Hawkeye's. I never totally bought that they were friends. You know, I was like, it's a great episode, but I was like, they just, I don't know. I don't know if I, I don't know if I yeah, see they didn't it. Look but, the, yeah, they didn't look like the same age or whatever yeah. it was. It didn't, uh, I mean, it, it's, I mean, it's probably you know, one of the most monumental episodes of the, yeah. the whole series, but uh, yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, but him and him and Tippy, I, I buy it. So yeah, it's a, a terrific, terrific, fun show. So uh, Seth, do you have a favorite line or joke from the episode? Yeah, so it, it, it's a it's it's a really quick moment that happens, and and that's why these you know writers were so good. Uh, you know, Mulcahy is is praying for the food he's about to eat, and and Potter says, you know, thank God for ketchup, and Radar just quickly says he just did, and I was like, oh, that's a brilliant line. <laughs> it's nice, a cute little moment. I guess you gotta dress things up as best you can. Uh, I've never been a big fan of ketchup myself, but maybe if I was stuck in the mess tent, I would try and grab every flavor that I could, every condiment that I could find just to to give it a little bit of flavor or something. Uh, My favorite one is when um, Radar runs into Potter's office after he sees Klinger eating the Jeep and uh, Potter guesses. Radar says to Potter that there's trouble and Potter guesses Hawkeye lock burns in the nurse's latrine. And Raider goes, no, sir, that was last week. And Potter just goes, yeah. time flies. Which is, again, yeah. I love, I, you know, I will never get tired of references to adventures of the 477 that we will never get to see. I just, exactly. I always, exactly. you know, there was a, there was a, you know, a week ago he locked Burns in the nurse's latrine. We, we, we just have to let our imagination run, run wild yeah. with that. I just love that. I feel like it's like, man, there's another 200, 250 episodes worth of material out there uh, to to film if they had wanted to. And I also love that Potter doesn't look up from it. He just goes, time flies. He just is very happy about that. So, so, uh, well, that's 38 across. Seth, thank you so much for coming by. Thank you for all these amazing stories. If you ever run into Alan Alt again, please (laughs) tell him to come on the show. You can tell him that, you know, Loretta's done it. Mike's done it. Jamie's done it. Ken Levine's done it. Like, you know, uh, (laughs) Joan Darling's done it. So, uh, (laughs) You know. yeah, we have to get you, uh, Gary. Also, right? Got to get Gary now. I put, in, you know, if you could yeah. put in a good word for me, I would really appreciate it. So, uh, again, <laughs> thank you so much for doing the show. I appreciate it. No, it was fantastic. Uh, thanks again so much. Oh, absolutely. So, of course, everybody, you can find back episodes of the show on our website, FireWaterPodcast dot com. You can subscribe to the show on any podcatcher of your choice. We're always talking Mash over on Twitter at Mash four seven seven Cast. And then finally, if you want to support Fine Water Podcast Network, just go to Patreon. Uh, patreon.com slash fw podcast and uh, there you can unlock various rewards one of which is to be name checked on a show of your choice so big thanks to daniel ulrich nicholas prom russell burbage stan peel Britt Schram, mike thomas michael porter joe perino billy shulman dennis bailey Kara Kay, and tim english thanks so much everybody i really appreciate it so that's going to do it uh, for this week we'll be back later but until then 
That is all. BJ, you hold his hand and hold your left hand straight up. You got sweaty palms. I'm new in radio. <laughs>